And if you do have a Bible, and if you look about halfway down your page, halfway down chapter 16, what do you see? What do you see? If you're using the ESV or in the ESV, actually in uh, the, the most uh, other versions as well, about halfway down the page, you're going to see a note. Do you see the note? It says <clears throat> this. It says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, verse 9 to 20. Do you have that in front of you there? Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, verse 9 to 20. What does, what, what does that mean? Well, what it means, in the opinion, I think, of, I think it's safe to say the vast majority of uh, biblical scholars, what it means is that when Mark's gospel was uh, first written, that Mark's gospel ended at verse 8. So that in the opinion of certainly the majority of, of biblical scholars that we've seen, that verses 9 to 20 were not initially recorded, included, not initially known to the earliest church. That actually what seems to have happened is that uh, a little bit later on, someone has come along <laughs> Someone who did not like the way that Mark ended his gospel and someone has added their own little flourish, their own little touch. They've added uh, to what we've got in Mark 16, they've added verse 9 to 20. So what does that mean for us and here at St. Peter's? Does this mean that we are faced with a, a big problem? Should this raise doubts for you, Christian friends, about... The, the reliability, let's say, uh, of God's holy, inerrant word. Is this a big problem? Well, no, I, I don't think it is a, a big problem. If you, if you know your Bible well, you, you know, don't you, that this sort of note is incredibly unusual in Scripture, isn't it? We don't come across this very often. In fact, it's almost unique that we have something like that. So you know that. Also, consider the fact that there is nothing particularly controversial included in verses 9 to 20. So nothing really that isn't included in the other gospel accounts. So although we have this note here, I don't think we should view it as Christians as being a big problem. It's not a big problem, but does it not for you raise quite a big matter? Because what do you ask now? If you're anything like me, you ask, Mark, why did you end your gospel where you did? Because I wonder if we just put up verse 8, if we can, or you look at verse 8, think about this for a moment, this incredible gospel, this beautiful gospel written uh, by Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it therefore concludes with a verse about women who are running scared I'm running scared through the, away from the tomb and through the streets of Jerusalem. Is that not strange? Like, do we not ask, why on earth would you end your gospel there? Well, uh, friends, hold that thought, okay? We will come back to it. But before we go any further, what we're going to do, we're going to pray, we'll pray, and then we'll consider some other aspects of Mark 16, and then we'll get to that. 
that very question and that very issue. So join me. Would you let's ask God for help? Let's pray together as a church. And we do that, oh God. We come to you, the sovereign and wise and faithful God of love and God of grace. And Lord God, we come in need and we need to hear from you, Lord God. So we do pray uh, that you would speak to us, that we would know that this is happening, that you would change us, that you would save us, and that you would build us up in the image of your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first heading uh, this morning from this portion of Scripture is this, and it is the devotion to the Lord. That's the first thing that we need to consider, the devotion to the Lord. Now, as soon as I say those words and give you that heading, the devotion to the Lord, uh, hopefully, as soon as I say that, in relation to this text, you see what I'm getting at, do you? If I say devotion to the Lord, I'm, of course, talking about these three women that were introduced. Who are they? Do you see them? We've got Mary Magdalene, we've got Mary, the mother of James, and we've got Salome. And the affection, the, the devotion that they show in these verses the devotion to the body of the Lord. You can see that if I say the devotion to the Lord. These women and how they behave their activity. Yes, fine. But what I want us to do just now is just to try and unfold that a little bit or just unpack that love or devotion. So let's do this. If we put up verse one and two, can I ask you just to observe a few aspects of the devotion here? Uh, the love, feel it, see it, but observe it. First of all, observe the devotion in what the women do. What, what do they do? Do you see it in verse 1? So we're told that when the Sabbath was passed, these three women, what did they do? They bought spices. They go and they buy spices. What does that tell us? What does it mean? Well, it means that those, as we read earlier on, who was it? It was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, although they had clearly included some solid spices in with Jesus' body, it clearly appears that with the Sabbath looming, these guys, they ran out of time, didn't they? They ran out of time to, to anoint our Lord's body fully. So what do, what do these women do? Listen to me, at great cost to themselves, appreciate that, an incredible cost to themselves, and on the Saturday night, when the Sabbath is over, what have they done? They've gone out and they have bought, it would seem, liquid spices. So what we're dealing with is, is the idea of oil, and it's oil mixed with myrrh, it's oil mixed with aloes, and it was a, a way not of embalming a body, but this was used quite simply as a way of honoring, anointing the body of the dead. Now, as I say that to you, what do you see? They use their money to go out and to buy these, these, these liquid spices. You see devotion, don't you? Devotion to our Lord. So we see it in what they do. But also, please observe the devotion in where they go. <laughs> because what is the, the very obvious thing for, for me to point out? Where do they go? Do you see it in verse 2? So, so they, these three women, they take their spices and they go to the tomb. Now, you, you are experienced Christians, mature Christians, and you've 
you've, you've known about that detail for, for decades, some of you. They go to the tomb, but have you ever stopped to think about it? And have you ever really stopped it to think about how risky a maneuver that was for these women? Let's just think about it for a moment. And we know that in the previous days, all of that city has been talking about Jesus. And and how? Was it positive? No, it wasn't positive. I mean, that city, that crowd has risen up against Jesus and they have called for him to be put to death. Do you you see it now? Like this, this simple act of going to the tomb, for those women, it risked all the pressure of the city. It risked just ridicule more. It risked opposition. And yet, what do the women do? They go. Why do they go? They go out of love for Jesus, what do we see? As you look on, what do we see? You see devotion, don't you? They went to the tomb, they risked it all, and they went out of devotion to the Lord. So we see it in, in what they do, where they go. I think most of all, please get the third, most of all, we see, we observe the devotion in when they go. Uh, what's the time reference at the start of verse two? How do you answer that for me? The time reference at the start of verse two. You might say, Andy, they went on the first day of the week. Yes? Absolutely they did. And it's so important that that each of the the gospel writers, all four of them, record. First day of the week they go. But that's not all, is it? At what time? What's the actual time reference? They go very early in the morning. So so I'm asking you in here, Christian friends, did, did you sense the haste? With, with that, do you? Very early in the morning. Do, do, you, do you sense the real urgency that those three women had? The previous night, they, they've gone. It's the Sabbath finishes as soon as it goes. They go, they buy these spices. And then what? You know, probably a restless night, don't you think? And at first thing in the morning, at the earliest possible opportunity, they are, they are up and they are ready and they are going, going together and they're off and they're away to the tomb. And if you put it all together, You put all of these things, what they do, where they go, when they go, what do you see? I think every one of us here, we stand back from it and we see devotion, don't we? Devotion to the body of the Lord, devotion to Jesus. A few years ago, quite a few years ago actually, um, one of my colleagues, and I use that term a little bit loosely because he's a pastor, yes, but he's a pastor in the United States. He took it upon himself to write an open letter to his congregation and it was a letter addressing what he saw as their inconsistent uh, attendance at church there's a bold move for a pastor to do right he writes an open letter about inconsistent attendance at church it's not something that i am going to replicate or or follow after anytime soon but he did this and you know I think if we're generous, we can maybe see why. We can think about it. We can empathize with our situation. Many of his church were doing what um, quite wealthy Americans in that part of the world can do in the church. And what they were doing was maybe skipping church for soccer practice or a weekend at the beach house. And what he was doing as out of a genuine uh, concern for their spiritual well-being 
and concern for their families and for the children, he, he writes to them to implore them to prioritize their gathering together and the worship of God as, as the church. Okay, so he takes that step, that bold step. And maybe, and I am just saying as your minister, maybe, maybe in this text before you as you look at these women, maybe there is application for our habits at St. Peter's. Is there? Is there? As we look on at these women who are doing what? These women who are willing to risk all of the pressures put upon them by society to do what? To come together on the first day of the week and to go and to express their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like maybe, maybe there is application for our habits. But if that is true, then how much more is there just now application for our hearts? Because there's a lovely little detail uh, that I would love you to, to just to think about just now. I think we have all been able to take a step back, have we, and admire these women. Do we do that? Do you do that? Do you admire the devotion that these women show? Hopefully we do. We were able to do that. Here's the little detail. What did those women think at this point in time? They're showing all of this devotion. And at this point in time, they thought Jesus was dead. They're showing all of this affection, that the use of their resources, their use of their time. He's, he's number one priority. And, and they thought here that Jesus, their Lord, they thought he was dead and he was gone. Now, if that is true for them... How much more should it be that this morning at St. Peter's, our hearts right now are actually aflame with devotion for Jesus Christ? Because what do we know? As we rise early on the first day of the week, and as we come together, what do we get to do just now? Right now, we get to go to honor the risen Lord. Right now, this is about we are before an exalted risen Christ Jesus. Like from this portion of scripture, we should be pleading with God to set our hearts on fire. We should be pleading for this. We should be asking God to change us, that apathy would go change us, make us different. That we might come on the first day of the week, not carrying spices, but actually come through these doors carrying heartfelt, sincere offerings of praise to our risen, exalted Savior. We see here in these women the devotion to the Lord. The second thing that we must notice, I think, of course, is the resurrection of the Lord. The resurrection of the Lord. The devotion to the resurrection of the Lord. Oh, let me state the obvious. Go on. Surely it's the case, regardless of your age or spiritual stage, or even regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, Maybe you're an atheist or an agnostic. Regardless of who we are or what we are, surely it's the case that every single one of us appreciates the importance of the event that we're dealing with here to the Christian faith. Every one of you, every one of us understands that biblical Christianity, it stands or falls on the veracity and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we all understand that, even the young people in the room understand that. So the matter we must address is, of course, well, did this actually happen? 
did it? There's a voice, again, if we put up verses 3 to 6, there's this voice from the tomb in verse 6, this young man in the tomb, and he makes this claim. He says, Jesus is not here, he is risen. So, is that the truth? Did, did this happen? Well, as we've done uh, before uh, in the church, what I want us to do actually is just to hold up this diamond of Jesus' resurrection. I want us to hold it up to the light, to, to tilt it and to admire it, to notice aspects of this resurrection, this jewel, this diamond of Christ's resurrection. Uh, and just a, f a few things for you, beginning with F. I want you to consider, first of all, that the resurrection in Mark's gospel, in Mark's gospel, is particularly portrayed to you as fulfillment. The resurrection here is shown to you as fulfillment. Um, do, do you know, I mean, we're taking a break from Luke's gospel. We come into Mark's gospel. Is this a book of the Bible that you know well? Is this a, a book of the Bible that you cherish deeply in your heart? I think for a lot of us at St. Peter's, it's bound to be the case that we love Mark's gospel. If you know Mark's gospel well, you know that Mark was a man who liked to keep things succinct. That was Mark. Uh, so Mark leaves out some of the, the material of Jesus' earthly ministry that others include. But even when Mark does record some of the material, Mark seems dedicated to a real economy of words. He's a man who loved to keep things brief and succinct, right? Now, bear that in mind, because despite that, when you look at Mark's gospel, there is an event or an expression that Mark keeps on repeating time and time and time again through his gospel. Isn't that odd? Don't you find that strange? If a man is committed to being succinct, that he would keep on repeating stuff, repeating the same thing time and time and time again. Yet he does, now listen to it, four times in his gospel, Mark records Jesus speaking and actually predicting the event that we've got here. Did you hear that? Four times leading up to this, Jesus predicts the resurrection, his own resurrection. So do you see what's supposed to happen? You're supposed to come in to Mark chapter 16 today, and you are supposed to not really be surprised. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to bask in amazement at the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, he knew in advance that he was going to rise and rise from the dead. So it's portrayed to you as fulfillment. But you've got a diamond in your hand, the diamond of Jesus' resurrection, tilt it in the light admire something else. Admire the fact that the resurrection in Mark's gospel is also portrayed to you as a fatherly act. I'll say it again, fulfillment, but also the resurrection portrayed to you as a fatherly act. I want to speak to the boys and girls. Um, the boys and girls, a lot of the, the kids are away on holiday enjoying their October break, but because there's not Sunday school, there's a few more kids in the preaching them are in for the sermon than would be normally. First thing, boys and girls, I want you to hear this, that when there's preaching in the church, it's not just for the adults, it's for the whole church and it's for you as well. But 
um, boys and girls and the young people, I want to ask you to do something because you have got great imaginations, much better imaginations than anyone over the age of 20 has got because that just goes for us. So if you're listening, boys and girls, what I would love you to do is to try and imagine and picture in your mind one particular scene in this story. Are you ready for it? You ready you're going to try and do this? So, boys and girls, I want you to try and picture an empty street in ancient Jerusalem. Now, can the young people try and do an empty street in this old city of Jerusalem? Can you do that? Pretty sure that the boys and girls can do that. Now, wait, you've got that empty street. The adults can do this too. I want you to add into this, boys and girls, I want you to add in three women. And they are walking briskly through that formerly empty street. What are they carrying? They're carrying, boys and girls, these spices. Okay, and dawn is breaking. And if you can imagine them, can you? Then they look a bit perplexed and confused because they have this recollection and they begin to ask each other, who is going to move this stone away? And the boys and girls and the adults too, we can all realize that, wait a minute, they do have an issue here. They do have what seemed to be a big problem because across the tomb of the dead at the time would have been a massive stone. And as we think about that, we've got to appreciate it would have been the size of maybe a millstone. Can you picture that? Something that maybe even 10 of us, even if we got all the deacons of the church together, I'm not sure that we'd be able to move this, this stone but what happens? As these women, they move out of Jerusalem and they move towards this tomb, they look up and what do they see? But the stone has already been moved away. And as you read in Mark's gospel, what's supposed to happen for you is that you sense the wonder from these women, that these women are amazed at this. You know, a heart skips a beat, that sort of thing. Goosebumps in the back of their neck as they realize, wait a minute, something special is happening here. Something even supernatural. Now, you see that theme, Christian friends, that theme of the supernatural, it only continues because where are the women now? Did you notice they actually enter into the tomb? And in the darkness, they look to one side and they see, what is this but a young man seated in this tomb? Except I reckon that most of us in here, we can appreciate this is not just a young man seated, can we? This is a heavenly being. This is an angel. How, how can we say that? How do we know that? We know it from his angelic introduction. Do you notice what he says? Do not be alarmed. And we know it from the authority with which this young man speaks. And we know it from what he's wearing. Like, do you see it? These, these clothes that are shining. Matthew tells us that his clothes shone like lightning. Friends, do you, do you see the, the point I'm making? Something special is happening here. Mark is showing us that something supernatural is occurring. Perhaps it is that you are seated in St. Peter's this morning and you're asking, but how on earth can these people believe that someone formerly dead has been made alive? How could this have happened? How could this have happened? You're supposed to see from the way it's written, 
Because God was involved. That a divine hand was in action. What happened here? But God the Father raised God the Son to life. And then the last of these, if you twist this diamond in the light, notice also that the resurrection is portrayed to you by Mark. Most important, it's portrayed as a fact. It's portrayed as a fact. I, I find this quite an unusual time of year, uh, certainly in the life of the church. There's a lot of comings and goings at this particular point of the year because um, we get a number of new students very often at this time of year, and that's tremendous. And if that's you, again, I would extend to you a warm welcome. It will be, it absolutely will be the case that some of our students are living out of the shadow of their parents, perhaps for the first time in their life. So we get to start living away from home. So we have that as marvelous, but it's also holiday time. And lots of people are away, but also it may be that there's some people visiting St. Peter's, perhaps for the first time. And so I would ask you, indeed all of you, what do you personally make of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Like if you're a student living away from your folks or new to us, if you're visiting us here, maybe you've even been at St. Peter's do you, for a long time. Do you, do you see this as a myth? Like do, do you think it's a fable? I mean, there, there will be, won't there, a lot of people, even in churches, we talk about this a lot, who today would say that this is not supposed to be believed literally, and they will see that this resurrection is a metaphor. Metaphor. Okay, it's God-given metaphor, but they will say it's a metaphor. Is that where you stand? Is that what you think? I would long for you right now just to, just to consider how it is actually set out before you in God's Word. I'd love for you just to, to, to notice that Mark, the Holy Spirit, inspired Mark, he sets it out for you as actually an event of history. Did you notice that? Like, like consider it. Consider that this, Mark says, happened on a particular day. Well, what did we say? Like the first day of the week, you can go into a calendar. This happened on a day. No, not only that, do you notice Mark... Mark establishes that this event took place in a particular place. Like, did you notice that the angel can actually point to a particular place inside the tomb? He's saying, it happened over there. And then you consider more things. You consider that the exact person involved is spelled out for you. The angel says, you are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And then his death is confirmed who was crucified. And then what you do with me is you consider the first witnesses of this event. Now, who's, who are the first witnesses? So it's these three, these, these women we have here. Now think about that. These three women were not only the very people who just a few days before witnessed with their own eyes Jesus' death. Not just that, they, the people who saw him, they saw him die, but not only that, who are they? They're women. They're women, they're the very people who, if you were making this stuff up, you would never record as being the first witnesses of the resurrection. Why? Because women were simply not trusted at all in the ancient world. 
You see the point, don't you? Everything in this text before you screams authenticity. If you take anything away, take away the fact that this is not a myth and it is not a fable and it is not a metaphor. The ground beneath the Christian church is secure and it is solid. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event. It is a fact. Over 2,000 years ago, in the tomb, outside of Jerusalem, in fulfillment of his promise, in the power of his father, what happened? Truly, really, actually, historically, bodily, Jesus of Nazareth was raised to life again. And then the third thing, and most brief of all, we've seen the devotion to, we've also seen the resurrection of, and then the third thing is the commissioning by the Lord. The commissioning by the Lord. Let me return to that uh, question very briefly that we started out with. Can you, can you recall what the question was? The question is, well, Mark, why did you end in verse 8? Why on earth? I mean, can we look at it yet? Tony's ahead of me. You've got verse 7 and, the, verse seven and 8. So in verse 7, what happens? The angel instructs the women go and tell, go and tell, go and declare this to people, he's risen. And then in verse 8, what do they do? These women, they run away, don't they? Don't they? And they're scared, and they're reluctant. Initially, at first, they don't say anything, they disobey, if you like, but they, they kept it to themselves. Don't you agree that's a strange place to end the book? Why does Mark end that? Why does, why does he end there? Friends, isn't it the case that what Mark is doing in recording things like that is reminding us of God's plan for gospel extension? He ends there. He records things like that in the way that he does. And in doing that, he's reminding us that in God's wisdom, God has purposed to use people like this to bring the good news of the gospel into the world. Indeed, is it not an encouragement to you that God would use people like these women, like people who are frightened and reluctant and, and flawed and, and even, not, even not even trusted, and God would use them and entrust them with this, this message that is to be brought out to people desperately needing to, to hear. God uses people like that. God uses people like us. But I want to end like this, I want to ask whether you can actually see from what we've read this morning what it is exactly that constitutes the message that we are to take out into Dundee and to Broughty Ferry. Do you see it from, from this particular text? Because I would like to suggest to you the message that we have been entrusted with is more, it is more than just Jesus is risen. Can you see what it is? Well, just look at verse 7. So the angel commissions these women go and tell, and it's a, go and tell a certain group of people that Jesus is risen and that he's going on ahead of this group of people into Galilee, yes? So who's the group of people? Who is singled out here? Do you notice? They are to go and tell the disciples, no, wait. They are to go and tell Peter. Think about it. What do we know about Peter? 
We know that like Mark's gospel is written heavily under Peter's influence. We know that. We know that Peter, you know, we know he's been with Jesus through thick and thin. But you remember what I read earlier on, don't you? Like, what was the last time we met Peter? What we just heard about Peter? He had spectacularly failed his Lord. And that's Peter's last act here. Peter has denied Jesus, dishonored Jesus. And yet, what is he hearing here? Peter's hearing not only is Jesus risen, but Peter is hearing that there is reconciliation with Jesus coming to him. Jesus has gone on before him. And Jesus, his beloved Lord, is waiting for him in Galilee, waiting to embrace Peter. Friends, do you not see what is the message we are to take out into the world? It is a message of, 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 of immeasurable grace. We get to tell people, undeserved people, that there is forgiveness on offer. That because of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, there is reconciliation with God available and only in Jesus Christ. So I, I, I ask you, I challenge you, I lay it before you, this morning in this place here, have you, do you know that reconciliation yourself? Have you experienced, have you, the salvation from God only in offer in Jesus Christ? Do you know it? Do you know that peace with God? If not, surely you, you come to this risen Savior today in faith. And if you do, and if you're sitting there and you are a Christian at St. Peter's this morning, born again, all by God's grace, what do you do now? What do we do now? I have an idea. Do we not run from this empty tomb? And do we not tell people what we've seen? Do we not go from this empty tomb? Do we not declare to a people who are dying in condemnation? And we tell them of a saviour. And what sort of saviour? A saviour, a gracious saviour for who, whoever will believe in him. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. And a saviour who has even, in his resurrection, he has even for us defeated death itself. Friends, let's bow and let's pray.